Church, today we celebrate Palm Sunday, and, uh, and you know, I, it's one of those, those events at church that's absolutely exciting to me, and you know, you read the story, you hear the songs, you know, Hosanna, 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 glory to God in the highest, and today what we're doing is we're celebrating that triumphal entry that Jesus started on the path to the cross, you know, the whole reason, the whole reason that all these things take place was the fact that we're going to be celebrating over the next seven days of what our Heavenly Father had in mind for you as an individual and for me. It's all due to the fact, church, that we have a sinful nature. And the only way that it was to be cured and to be taken care of and to be paid for was that Jesus came to die on the cross to save us from it. In James chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, it says this. It says, temptation comes for our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. You know, churches, we head into these seasons, you know, whether it be Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, I want to tell you something. We as preachers, we, we struggle sometimes. We do. We struggle what to preach about. And, and I was talking to Mary sometime. It might have even been way before this. But we were talking, and, and, and she said, well, why is it hard? It's, it should be the easiest ones. And it really isn't that simple. See, what happens is, as a preacher, I go back and forth and looking and analyzing and, and stressing and praying, you know, what is it that I need to preach about? And see, this, this scenario is even deeper during the holidays for me personally. And I want you to know, church, I prayed about this message today that you are about to receive. And it's pretty cool. God has given me some awesome, um, just some awesome confirmation uh, this morning from the moment I walked in the door until this service right here, that this is what you're supposed to hear this morning. So I love it when God works that way. You know, today is Palm Sunday, and so we see the palm branches laying around. You all, you all received those palm branches when you came in. Maybe some of you grabbed them. Uh, some of you, you you're going to make that traditional cross with it. If you know how, I do not have any idea how to do that. I'm not that creative or smart enough maybe to do. And, and you know, back in the day when I was a kid growing up, we loved Palm Sunday because we used those things as weapons. We, we'd pick them up, we'd sword fight with each other, and, and really, if you... Oh, cut you, man. Them suckers are sharp. I promise you. That's why we like playing with them. <laughs> That's exactly why. But, but I want you to understand you have that palm branch, and, and I want you to understand the significance of that palm branch. See, back in Jesus' time, the palm branch meant triumph. It, it meant victory, and it was befitting for a conquering king. That's what that was for. And conquering kings, what would happen is, you know, they would go out and do battle and they, they would do something amazing and they would come back into town and, 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 you know, after this conquest that they just went on and they usually were riding on this big white horse and, and they would come in as the conquering hero and people, what they would do is to celebrate it, they would throw their coats down on the ground and, and the palm branches and what they were doing, they were ushering in the conquering king, the hero on that white horse. See, this was symbolic to what Jesus had done and why we're celebrating Palm Sunday today. But you know what, Jesus, he did it a little bit different. You know, Jesus always does everything different, doesn't he? He likes to do it different. And so Jesus rode in 
not on a white stallion, but he rode in on a donkey. And what this did is it symbolized peace and humility. See, in Zechariah chapter 9, if you want to turn there with me, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, it says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch far from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. So you read that, and you're like, yeah, okay, you're talking about Palm Sunday there. What's amazing about this, this was written about 500 years even before Jesus came to this earth. Isn't it wild how God works 500 years before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem? So Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and and they're shouting, right? They're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's a way to praise the Lord, but Hosanna's actual definition means this, church, to save us or to save. So basically, they're shouting out, save us, save us, save us. That's what they were doing. They were shouting this out, and I want you to picture this in your mind, okay? Okay. Have you ever been clueless about something, church? I spent a lot of my life being clueless. <laughs> I have. And you know, have you ever met someone who is clueless? Maybe you rode to church with them today. I don't know. But you realize that you can go to Walmart on every, any given day and you can see clueless people. You really can, seriously. See, it's people who are just there. And they don't really necessarily have a purpose to be there. You know, you've done it yourself. You walk in there, I need three items and because you're hungry or you're just, I don't know what I really want. You walk out of there with a $250 bill and a large grocery, well, not today, a small grocery order, right? <laughs> Truth. But these people, they're just wandering around at Walmart, and they're not really sure what, what they are there to get. They're wandering around. They're looking at things they don't need. They're looking at things that maybe they don't even want, and they're not sure what it is that's going on. Church, there are clueless people everywhere. There really are. And sometimes we as Christians, you and I as individuals, we are clueless about what we want, aren't we? We're clueless about what we want and sometimes even what we have. For you parents here, how many times have you had to tell your kids, like, you don't even realize how good you've got it, right? I've said that a million times, and I've been told to me a million times. But do we really understand, church, what Palm Sunday represents? See, Jesus was choosing this road. He was choosing this road that he was going to take on on Palm Sunday. Jesus actually knew, he knew what the people wanted. He really did. He knew exactly what the people wanted. So the Jews, right, remember about them, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, remember what I told you Hosanna means, it means save us, save us, right? And so the Jews, what they were wanting, they were wanting Jesus to come into town as a king. They were wanting him to come into town as a king to save them from the Roman government, See, the Romans had conquered the people, and it was a harsh rule living under those Romans. 
And so when Jesus came, they're like, man, this is the guy. Zachariah told us about this 500 years ago. He's going to come in, and he's going to take care of all the business. And so when Jesus comes, right, it was like the king had come home, right? He has finally arrived. He was going to take care of business, right? He's going to give Rome the boot is how they thought it was going to work. And so the people were like, all right, Romans, he's here. We told you he was coming. He's here right now. He's riding into town as we come, and, and our king, he's coming to clean house. That's the way the people looked at it. See, that is what the Jewish people had wanted from Jesus. This is what they wanted. They wanted him to be the conquering king. And they also wanted Jesus to do what they wanted. How many of you struggle with that? You always want Jesus to do what you want, right? Exactly what you want. And maybe some of us are are, are clueless right now in this area, right? You know, we we have it all laid out, right? We we want God to do certain things in our lives. And we're like, God, listen, if you just listen to me, Lord, (laughs) you just listen to me and do it my way, things would be great, right? That's the, the attitude that we have sometimes. And we have it all laid out. And we're like, God, do this and this and this. And Lord, if you could do it in that order, that would be amazing for all of us. We want things to happen. See, the Jews were in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover at this time, and they didn't realize that that they knew Jesus was coming to town, but they didn't realize that he was actually coming to be the sacrificial lamb. They thought he was coming to be that conquering king, and and they wanted to be saved, church. They wanted to be saved from those political powers of Rome who had conquered them long before that. But Jesus was coming, and you know what he was coming to do, church? He was coming to save them, is what he was doing. He was coming to save them from the principle of sin that they had in their lives. That's what Jesus was coming for. You know, when I was a kid, I, I would sometimes want something. Imagine a kid wanting something, right? I would sometimes want something, and, and, and my mom and my dad, sometimes they, they, they would tell me no. They were good parents. They were good at saying no. That, I'm not knocking them. They were good parents. They were good at saying no, or, or they would say, not yet. You know the famous line, you got to wait till payday. <laughs> and they would sometimes give me the thing that I didn't want, Right? The thing, I, this is what I asked for, and you're giving me this? You know, something I, I didn't want. And, and they knew, though, they knew they were giving me something that I needed even more than what I wanted. That's what they would do. See, the Jews wanted a king to sit on a throne. They wanted someone right in front of our eyes. We want to see him. We want to be able to talk to him, right? That's what the Jews wanted and, and to be there for him. They wanted this king to be there for them to rebuild their nation. But God was saying, listen, you need something way more than a king sitting on a throne. That's what God was saying to them. You need something so much more than that. You should not worry about the king on the throne right now. What I'm doing is I'm sending you the king that's going to conquer all the sin, not only in your lives, but all the lives that will come after you. See, that's what God was doing. God knew what he was doing. Go figure that, church. God knew what he was doing. He was sending someone to save them, not from the Roman people, but to save them from themselves and the penalty of sin in their lives. In Luke chapter 19, if you got your Bible with you, 
I would really love for you to turn there in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 48. Check this out. Verse 28 starts like this. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you're untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached a place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they have seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest of heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, Rebuke your followers from saying things like that. And I love what Jesus said. Listen, church, in verse 40, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that all of you people would understand the way to peace, but now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. I love that part where he says, if they keep quiet, that the stones will cry out. Church, there's so much significance in that. I want you to picture that for a moment. You know, are, are you just like the people in Jerusalem? Are you just like the Jews who was there, you know, wanting that instant gratification, gratification from God? You know, are you one of those type of people that you want God to do exactly what you want God to do? And guess what, God, I want it done right now impatient person. I'm one of those people. I'm, I struggle so bad with that. So bad with that. So are you one of those people? Are you one of those people who are expecting him to do now what you've asked of him? You know, asking God to only take away the things that, that maybe are bogging you down personally, right? Ask him to take, to give you the things that make you happy. How many of you approach God just like that, that wish list? Oh, Lord, if I just had this, I'd be happy. No, you won't. You won't. You know, and then you, what you do is you just are so worried about this instant happiness that you actually forget about the things, church, that give you pure joy. I'm talking about pure joy. I did a sermon once that talked about happiness and pure joy. And happiness is a fleeting moment. It really is. It's a fleeting moment. So I'm happy when I get to go to to Cedar Point and to ride the biggest roller coaster that they have. I'm talking about the bigger, the crazier, that makes it better, right? And I love to ride that roller coaster. And I'll wait in line for two and a half hours for that ride just to get two and a half minutes of happiness. We're messed up. 
if you really and truly do the math and you think deep about it, we all got issues. And you know you're waiting in that line with me too. You know it's true. And if you really want to be messed up, figure out how much you paid and how many rides you got to pay and how much you paid per ride. Don't do it. You'll be angry and you'll never go back. You won't. Seriously. But listen, pure joy, pure joy is something that you feel in your heart that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what you have going on in your life, that nobody can take that joy from you. That's what pure joy is. It's something that sticks in you there. You'll have that joy there. Nobody can take that joy from you. No matter what's going on, you're still gonna feel that joy in your life. It's something that's planted, church, deep inside of your heart. That's where it's at. So are you one of those people like the Jews that you want instant gratification or are you somebody that has pure joy knowing that your heavenly father's doing something in your life, recognizing that he's doing something, knowing that he has it all under control, all under control, or, or, or are you, or me and you, are we looking for that king who's going to make our lives more prosperous? Are you looking for that king who's going to make your life easier, right? Are you looking for that king that's going to give you every single thing on your wish list? Are we looking for a king who's going to wipe out all those things that are nagging us? Or church, are we looking for a king who wants to save us from the problem of sin in our life? See, that's where the rubber really and truly hits the road. Don't be asking God to be your king just to cure your temporary problems. Man, it's a mistake that a lot of baby Christians make. See, you ask him to be the king of your life to cure the problem of sin that we struggle with. Now, I'm not saying it's going to go away. You are bent towards a sinful nature. But what happens is you receive that grace. And you listen. Are you asking for a king who's going to help you in that area? Because listen, it means an eternity to each and every one of us. It means an eternity. That's what it means, right? Sin is the root of all of our problems. It really is. Sin is the root of all of our problems. Think about almost every single mess that we are in. Almost all the messes we have in our life, you can trace it back to our sinful nature of our personal lives. I've had a lot of people in the 13 years that I've been in ministry who will come into my office and, you know, they, they throw up on your desk. Not literally, but they just give it all to you. That's what I'm there for. You, you're welcome to come in and puke on my desk with me if you like to. You really are. They're just getting all of this out, all their hurts, all their struggles. And most of the time, I can honestly say, okay, let's stop for a minute. Look at this. You know, your life is in this situation right here because you made this bad decision. Your life right here, you're in this situation because you struggle in that area with sin, right? And we can narrow almost every single thing down to the sinful nature because, listen, sin causes war, sin causes violence, sin causes everything that is filthy, nasty, and broken in this world. You can trace it all back to sin. That's where it comes from. So I asked your church this morning, what are you asking your king for? What are you asking your king for? You realize that Jesus chose the road to Jerusalem. He knew the moment that he sat on that donkey. He knew that the, the moment that he took that road to Jerusalem, he knew what was next. He knew what was coming next, and he 
still chose that path because of you and me. I remember as a child sitting in Sunday school on, on Palm Sunday, and, and I was sitting in Miss Pearl's Sunday school class, just a little kid, and, and, and she broke out the flannel graph. I know that really dates me. If you don't know what a flannel graph was, it literally was a piece of green felt, and there was these little characters, you know, cut out paper characters, and it had some kind of Velcro. You could stick them on there, and Miss Pearl would let everyone put their piece of the story on her. She'd tell the story, and you, put, you always wanted to be Jesus and the donkey. That was, that was the prize, right? You, I'm important. I get to put Jesus and the donkey up there, right? That's what you wanted. And I remember sitting in Sunday school class on Palm Sunday, and they would tell the story. And I, in my little kid's mind, I'm thinking, you know, Jesus rode into town and, and thinking it's going to be exciting. All these people are shouting praises to him. And, and then suddenly some bad guys jump him later on down the road. He wasn't ready for it. They they beat him up, they tried him, and then they hung him on a cross. And he did not understand what was next. That was the little kid brain, okay? That's the mentality I have as a child, but now I know he knew exactly what was next. The moment he climbed up on that donkey, he knew what was unfolding before him. He knew as he rode into town not to be the conquering king to get rid of Rome, but what he was going to do was going to be the conquering king who would remove the penalty of sin for all the people who would come after that. He knew that, church. Do you realize he will give you forgiveness? You realize he will give you grace? See, what he rode into town for on that donkey would last for an eternity for us. I want to focus on that crowd again for a moment. See, the crowd was shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Save us, save us. And I want to ask you this morning, how many of you are shouting Hosanna so he can take away those temporary things in your life? Maybe it's the pain that you're suffering right now. Maybe you're asking him to help you financially and you're shouting, save us, save us in your finances. And listen, you, you can. Please don't construe what I'm saying here to be wrong. You should go to your heavenly father with those things. He wants us to bring it to him. But maybe you're asking him just for that. Maybe that's all you're asking him for. But see, Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday to save you from an eternity of being separated from him and the heavenly father. That is the main thing that he rode into town for. And I hear people all the time, and there's nothing wrong with it, church. The, 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 you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You're supposed to praise him for answered prayer, right? Where we stand up in church, like, man, I want to thank God for that new job. You know, I, I want to thank God for healing my throat. I, I want to thank God for doing all these things, right? You know, well, that's what we do in church because it's comfortable, isn't it? It's so comfortable and easy to just say, man, I love what God's doing in my life because everybody else there wants to hear that. But how many of us are going out on the street? How many of us are going to work? How many of us are, are going to school and, and praising God for what he's done in your life? How many of us are doing those things? I'm not talking about how necessarily you just took care of a temporary situation. You should do that. Make sure you do it. But I'm talking about praising his name because he took care of your sin. And he took it all away. See, that is the crowd, church, we should be. That's the crowd that we should be, not looking for that temporary gratification, but thanking him and praising him for all the things that he has done for your eternity and for mine. I'm talking about you just 
thank him for that. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me willingly because it was his father's will that he did that. How many of you today, as we sit here in church, how many of you today that you're going to be, you know, you're going to be around some people? If you go around some people and, and some people who are just looking, you're going like, man, you're awesome. You're absolutely amazing. You're so smart. You know, you're so talented. Oh, you smell good, right? I mean, they're complimenting you time and time again. And then the very next day, they're bad-mouthing you out there. Well, the young people call that a frenemy, right? <laughs> they're your friend and your enemy. Wanting to cause evil harm to you, how many of you would go around those certain people if you knew that they were going to do that? How many of us would do it? I would venture to say most of us would not. See, Jesus knew exactly before he got on that donkey, he knew the people who were shouting his name and praising his name. He knew what they would do next. He knew exactly what they would do next. So where do you stand this morning? Where do you stand this morning? Are you shouting praises to him this morning? Are you praising him for what he's done in your life? I want to give you some verses. I'm going to shotgun them to you. They're going to be boom, boom, three of them right in a row, okay? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and 9, verse 5 says this, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And it goes on to say in verse 9, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into wonderful light. That's what he did. How many of you are praising him for that this morning? Psalm 150, if you'll look at that with me, in Psalm 150, verse 6, it says this, let everything that has breath sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many of you breathing today? (laughs) How many of us are breathing? I hope you're breathing. I'm not good in emergency situations. If you're breathing this morning, it says everything that has breath Praises, sing praises to the Lord. And then Jeremiah chapter two, verse five, it says this. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. Man, that's harsh, isn't it? But it's true. Harsh, but true. They followed worthless idols. It blows my mind even as a mature 52-year-old man, to sit there and read in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they saw the awesome power of God. I mean, they saw wild stuff. And then they literally would turn around and make a golden calf to worship. (laughs) Makes no sense to me, right? I used to always say, like, man, I know if I was with Jesus, if I literally was walking with him, that I wouldn't make any mistakes. Yeah, you will. (laughs) And his disciples did. See, we are 
bent towards a sinful nature. And so it says they followed worthless idols. And church, do you realize you become like what you worship? Listen to me. Hear me out. It says I'm talking about this. It's, it, it's if, you, if you adore and, and honor and give all your attention to something that, that's worshiping that, right? If you put something ahead of God, you're worshiping it. So if you worship superficial things, everybody listen to me this morning. If you worship superficial things, then you are going to become superficial. You become what you worship. If you worship perverted things in your life, I'm talking about you're putting things that are nasty in front of God. Guess what? You are going to become perverted. If you worship evil things, then you are going to become evil. But if you worship the one true God, you know what you're going to become? Godly. When you worship the one true God, you become godly. If you worship superficial things, doesn't mean that you're bowing down to them. Doesn't mean you got like a, a little closet thing over there that you're worshiping. That's not what it means. It means anything you're putting in front of God, that means you're worshiping it. And if you worship something superficial, you're going to become very superficial. And we live in a superficial world. We really do. You become like the things you worship. I want to take you back when Jesus said, when, like, when the Pharisees said, you pipe down your people. Tell them to be quiet. He said, man, even the stones will cry out if I do that. You ever look around and just look at the goodness of God? I absolutely love Elkhorn Valley Christian Service Camp. I know I talk about it all the time. Sorry about your luck, Chuck. But I love it. I do. I enjoy that place. I, I started going there when I was nine years old. Fell in love with it. I'm still 52 years old, still going strong. I still spend a week out there every year. But what I love about that place is it's beautiful, number one. If you know, we have our church picnic there almost every year, so make sure you check it out next year. But this place, it's, it's a valley, literally. It's surrounded by these giant mountains. There's no cell phone service out there. It's wonderful. And it's just beautiful. And listen, sometimes at night, you know, you get all them four through six graders to bed. It takes a lot to get that to happen. 30 of them in your room, <laughs> and you finally get them to bed. It's about 11 o'clock, and so the, the adults will go out right outside the door, and you look up at the sky. Every once in a while, you got to yell back in there, be quiet. But you go back out there, and you look up in the sky. I call it Camp Sky. It's beautiful. It's clear. There's no light pollution there. There's no city messing it up. You see these stars. I mean, they are bright, and they are big, and you go out there, and you look at that. I call it Camp Sky. Every once in a while, we'll get around here. I'll go out and I'll tell Mary, I'll say, man, look at that camp sky. Because it's beautiful, and you look up, and you see what God has done. Church, it's absolutely amazing to see what God has done. See, the heavens shout out who he is. They shout out who he is. The heavens sing his praises. And it isn't just a camp sky. You look around, you see all these amazing things that God has done, and they're shouting out his name. For those of you who have witnessed a baby being born, there is nothing more amazing than that. You sit there and look at that baby, and you're like, wow, God did that. And then they grow up into, uh. <laughs> Until they turn 23, and then you can love them again, right? Maybe. But think about this. Who are we praising this morning, church? 
Who is it that we are praising this morning? We need to praise God with all we have. You praise him for all that we have. We need to praise him with our loud voices. That means you go out and tell somebody. You tell them what he's done. Oprah Winfrey, a few years back, she gave everyone in her audience a car. Maybe you remember that right here. You get a car and you get a car. And you. She gave all these people in her audience a brand new car. And I believe with all my heart, I mean, everybody was excited. It was on the news for weeks, right? I believe everybody that got that car, they were out a week later, maybe even a month later. And they were like, yeah, Oprah gave me that. That car came from Oprah. Free, right? I got that car from Oprah. I mean, everybody, they're telling everybody, I got the free car from Oprah, a Pontiac G6, right? That's what she gave them. But you know what? They talked about it. They talked about what she did in their lives. In church, that was a car. Five years from now, they're probably going, this thing's junk. Who gave this to me, right? But no. They were talking about it. And listen, church, look what your God has done for you. Way better than a Pontiac G6, I promise you that. He has done some things for you. And so, listen, are you going out and are you telling people about it? Because you're called to. God tells you that you're supposed to. And so even the rocks, church, are going to cry out. If you're going to be silent about it, the rocks will sing his praises. We need to not be silent. I want to close out with one last verse as the praise team comes up here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. No matter what it is, church, no matter what it is that you're doing, you do it all for the glory of God. Because if you're able to do it, do you realize where you got them talents, those skills, and those abilities? Those came from your heavenly father. You do it all for his glory. Not look what I can do. Look what I have done. You give him all the glory for what it is that he has done in your life. So this Palm Sunday, listen to me. This Palm Sunday teaches us to praise God. You praise him. Not for what we always want him to do, church. But we praise him for what Jesus Christ did for us. The very fact that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross. Church, don't be like the Jews on Palm Sunday. We're only praising him for the temporary. They're only praising him for the things that they wanted to see happen right now. They were only praising him for the things that they felt, this benefits me the most right now. See, church, we cheer his name because what he did to secure your eternity and what he did to secure my eternity. He sacrificed the life of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I can conquer the sin in our lives so that we can overcome. Church, you realize he has given you everything that you need to conquer it? How many of you are singing his praises this morning? Seriously, are you telling people about what Christ did in your life? You know, do you realize that he's doing something, church? God has done an amazing thing in my life. He really has. Amazing. And he's done an amazing thing in your life. Maybe you just aren't looking at it with the right perspective. And if you look at a church, he's done an amazing 
thing in his church. This is his church. And you know, you are the church. It's not this building. You are the church, and he's done an amazing thing in his church. He's done something great. If you look, church, he's done it for you. So don't be one of those people who are not thankful. I'm big on that. You ask my kids, if, if you say, Dad, hand me a fork, I'm going to hand you a fork, but you better tell me thankful, that you're thankful. Say thank you. So don't be one of those people who's not thankful. See, church, he's not done with you. He's not. Why do we always look at like today is the end all be all? We got to learn to be marathon runners. I tell the staff all the time, you got to be a marathon runner. You are not a sprinter. This life is long and you got to run long and hard sometimes in the life that God has called you to. But there's a reward. There's a reward in it. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. He's not done with his church. But listen, church, you got to let him work in you. You got to let him. He's a gentleman. He's not going to kick open the door and start doing all these things. He wants you to say, come on in and please clean it up. I need you to do something. And here's what you got to do, church. You got to offer yourself up as a living sacrifice. The Bible says it's holy and pleasing unto the Lord. You offer yourself up like, here it is, God. Take it all. Take my heart. You take my mind. You take everything about me, Lord, and make it right. Clean it up. Fix it up. You realize that God can make the most beautiful thing out of little broken pieces. And he wants to do that in your life. But you have to offer it up, church. I'm going to say one last thing and then we're going. I want to tell you something. Jesus is coming again. He is. And he wants you to be ready. He wants you to be ready. And the way that you can be ready is to be right. To be right with him. Not like, oh, I'm always right. No. To be right. To mean that he has cleansed you of all unrighteousness in your life that he is now giving you grace, that he's offering this up to you as a free gift because Jesus already paid for it. And so if that's for you today and you need some of that, you're sitting here and you're like, preacher, I ain't ready. I don't even know what you're talking about. But man, I feel convicted. Come forward. Let these people pray for you up here. They'll take you down the path of where you need to be. And for those of you who are already saved and you're sitting here today and you're realizing that you aren't praising God the way that he asks us to praise him, let today be the day, Palm Sunday 2023, where you make a change in your life and say, man, I am going to honor the one who made me right. And I'm going to tell everybody. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and let's sing. I want to encourage you to respond this morning.